the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, September 11th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. The phone number is 602-508-0960. We've got Mr. Bill to the north. We've got David Dahl, my producer, to the west. We've got uh, Terry, uh, Miss Terry, even Occidental yet. Still an odd thing to say, September 11th. It seems we're doing the right thing by remembering 9-11 a little better this year. I've noticed more tributes and mentions and memories than in recent years past. Perhaps it's due to an unarticulated but clearly culturally absorbed need for unity in a fractured time. Fractured times are not good for America or anywhere else. At best, they lead to division. At worst, they lead to enemy or even civil war. It is not and should not be our intention to want such a thing, but neither should we be ignoring it. Last week, I was mentioning the 912 unity in this country. I didn't identify why it broke. I'll do that in a little bit. But as I usually recount on this day and have been for, I guess, 22 years now, I was in Washington, D.C. on 9-11-2001. My office was right across from the White House. I remember that day well. I had just come out of a Tuesday Bible study we had every week, and I turned on the Today Show, and a bunch of us sat transfixed at my television watching and watching that second plane strike the World Trade Center as the reporters were trying to figure out how the first fire started. In short order, probably within about a half hour, the Secret Service came to our building and evacuated us. Professor Wilfred McClay got it right when he compared where we are today in the war on terror to an old sign he has in his office. The sign says, Remember Pearl Harbor. And with Pearl Harbor, we all knew what to remember. Some of us still do. We knew what to remember then, and we did. A few years ago, that stopped, and to remember 9-11 became both a controversial and a confused thing. A few years ago, we stopped asking if we defeated the terrorist threat and started to ask perhaps if we overreacted. We began to ask if we were too Islamophobic. Today we remember the tragedy of it, but we forget the horror of it. We rightfully honor the memory of the dead, but we ignore and suppress the evil that killed those now dead. The survivors of the Holocaust got it right. They understood the power of memory just as quickly as Eisenhower did when he arrived at the Ordorf death camp. He said the picture of evil needed to be preserved. And Holocaust museums get it mostly right when they intone the phrase, never again. And indeed today, there are Holocaust studies programs at our universities. I know of no radical Islam programs, and terrorism programs are quite a different thing. Frankly, I'd be afraid of a radical Islam program, given how the professorial class treats the notion of evil and the threat of radical Islam itself. In our elementary and secondary schools, most of the textbooks, and a lot, not all but a lot, 
A lot of the teachers actually buy into and accept much of the Islamist complaint of America and the West. You know that complaint. It states, as the cultural critic Bruce Bauer put it, quote, Knowing little about America and its history, American students are easily persuaded by multicultural-minded professors that their country is not a light unto the nations, but a blight on the planet, and that other cultures, if not downright admirable, can be excused for their failings, because those failings are, for some reason or other, ultimately the fault of the United States. Close quote. I found it interesting that according to one study, fewer than half the states explicitly identify the 9-11 attacks in their high school standards for social studies. Quote, it is extremely complicated to explain what happened, close quote, one education expert said. The problem, of course, begins with how we teach civics and American history. You can't put the genie back in the bottle once you have smashed the bottle. How have we smashed the bottle, we have downgraded our exceptionalism. We have taught that all cultures are deemed equal, only when we don't teach that America is the problem in the world. We have taught that all religions are deemed equal, except when we find it acceptable to blame the Western culture or the Christian religion. But you will find it impossible to find an academic critical eye fixed on which societies elevate and esteem individual rights and which do not. So where are we going? Nobody knows. Of course, it starts with our own home, homeland security and moves out where, outward from there into our foreign policy. We had a secretary of homeland security, former governor of Arizona, who said when she was secretary, she prefers the phrase, quote, man caused disasters, close quote, to terrorism. The Department of Defense and the Department of State were instructed in the Obama years to replace the phrase war on terror with the phrase overseas contingency operations. And that Secretary of Homeland Security then said that the prevention of the airliner bombing over Detroit that was attempted was a case where she said the system worked, quote, close quote. As Mark Stein put it, well, yes, the system did work if the system was a lone Dutch passenger who tackled the terrorist at the last minute. And then there was Fort Hood. Then Chief of Staff of the Army, General George Casey, said what was perhaps the worst thing that could be said about that terrorist attack, or almost anyone. He said, quote, Our diversity, not only in our army but in our country, is a strength. And as horrific as that tragedy was, if our diversity becomes a casualty, I think that's worse, close quote. Losing political correctness in the military would be worse than the death of 14 people to the chief of staff of the Army at an Army fort in Texas. Then, of course, we added insult to injury about all that with the Pentagon report on Fort Hood. The report mentioned radical Islam not once. It mentioned causes of violence such as low self-esteem. That was in the report. Depression was in the report. Disgruntled employee syndrome was in the report. Of course, we got white supremacy and right-wing policies in the report on Fort Hood as well. And the recommended solution? More health care providers. Lost on the Pentagon was that the assassin, the terrorist at Fort Hood, Major Nadal Hassan, was a doctor and a psychiatrist. He was a health care provider. He was a mental health care provider. Lost on almost everyone in positions of responsibility was that none of what was mentioned as the cause was the cause of Fort Hood. 
I recite this history and more in a moment because this is how, this is precisely how slowly but surely a culture and mindset gets corrupted. This is how a national mind gets shaped and how foolish thoughts can be elevated as sophisticated thoughts. During all that, our then commander-in-chief continued to negotiate with Iran and shovel billions of dollars to them, as we did today, and when the dissidents there had an opportunity in 2009 to overthrow the malocracy, our commander-in-chief at that time said, we will not meddle against the leading state sponsor of terrorism in the world. So meddle we did not, not there, and the dissidents were crushed. And Iran today is still the leading state sponsor of terror and yet closer to a nuclear weapon. We did, however, meddle under that administration in Egypt, our ally. ally. We meddled in telling Hosni Mubarak that he had to go, and go he went. And in came the Muslim Brotherhood. And among its first acts was to establish an alliance with Iran. Showing how little that administration understood the Middle East, our then Secretary of State and future Democratic presidential candidate testified that Bashir Assad of Syria was, quote-unquote, a reformer, close quote. Just at the very time Syria was and still is a slaughterhouse. So have, have we won exactly? No, we simply have not. Iran is as powerful as ever, if not more so. The Palestinians who cheered 9-11 continually attempt to become a full state recognized by the U.N. with zero democratic norms, not even elections. Two presidents ago, and this one, even publicly lectured Israel on the size of its borders, telling our ally they should be constricted to an indefensible nine-mile width. Meanwhile, the A-team of terrorism, Hezbollah, is financially and violently active in Latin America, as it was not before. Let me, saying, let me finish by saying this before we go to the next segment. How we talk, think, and teach here and what goes on here matters. I take my cues from Lincoln. Only we can destroy ourselves. If destruction be our lot, we must be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. When we come back, I want to talk not about the negatives, but about some of the heroes. And we'll be right back. I remember uh, watching uh, news cameras go up to Mayor Rudy Giuliani 23 years ago, and one of the reporters asked him, how many have we lost? And his answer, without blinking an eye, was, more than we can bear. There were heroes on 9-11, more than we can count. The one I talk about the most is Rick Rascorla. He should be a household name. Bill Bennett and I wrote a book on terrorism. You can still get it. It's called The Fight of Our Lives. We dedicated that book to his memory. Learning names like his, Rascorla's, is the other way we stay a nation of free men. First, unlike the record I was speaking of in the previous segment, we understand our enemy, we take our enemy seriously, and we have a duty to call it by its proper name. Second, we forever esteem those who did just that and made this country better because they saw things for what they really were and saw their duty to save American lives. So who was Rick Rescorla? He moved to the United States from Great Britain. He came here to actually help us fight in Vietnam. There were Americans who were escaping America because they didn't want to fight in Vietnam. He moved here to do that. 
and he fought in the famous Battle of La Drangue. His picture is actually on the cover of the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. He came back from Vietnam, and in time, he became the head of security for Morgan Stanley. After the first attack on the World Trade Center in 1993, he knew the terrorists would come again. So what did he do? Here's how Amanda Ripley describes it. From then on, since 1993, Rescorla started running the entire company at Morgan Stanley through frequent surprise fire drills. He trained employees to meet in the hallway between the stairwells and at his direction go down the stairs two by two to the 44th floor. He noticed, noticed they moved slowly, so he started timing them with a stopwatch, and they got faster. The radicalism of Rascola's drills cannot be overstated. Remember, Morgan Stanley was an investment bank. Millionaire, high-performance bankers on the 73rd floor chafed at Rascola's evacuation regimen. They did not appreciate interrupting high-net-worth client calls in the middle of a meeting. Each drill, which pulled the firm's brokers off their phones and away from their computers, cost the company money. But Rascola did it anyway. He didn't care whether he was popular. When guests visited Morgan Stanley for training, Rascola made sure they all knew how to get out, too. Even though the chances were slim, Rascola wanted them ready for an evacuation should one be needed. Then came 9-11. Rascola grabbed his bullhorn, his walkie-talkie, and his cell phone and began systematically ordering Morgan Stanley employees to get out. They already knew what to do. Even the 250 visitors who were taking a stockholder training class and had already been shown the nearest stairway. Rescola had led soldiers through the Viet Cong-controlled central highlands of Vietnam. He knew the brain responded poorly to extreme fear. Back then, he had calmed his men by singing Cornish songs from his youth. Now, in the crowded stairwell, as his sweat leached through his suit jacket, Rescorla began to sing into the bullhorn, Men of Cornwell, stand ye steady. It cannot be ever said ye, for the battle were not ready. Stand and never yield, he shouted. He saved thousands of lives that day. Thousands but not his own. His last recorded words were, quote, as soon as I make sure everyone else gets out, close quote. He said those words in response to Morgan Stanley's regional manager, John Olson, who was yelling at him, Rick, you got to get out too. Who was Rick Rescorla? He was an American by choice. He was a hero. Of him, as of so many, it may be said of them, as Stephen Spender wrote, the names of those who in their lives fought for life, who wore at their hearts the fire's center. Born of the sun, they traveled a short while toward the sun and left the vivid air, signed with their honor. We owe it to our heroes, as much to our ancestors, as much to our progeny, to know names like that. And we owe it to ourselves to make more Rick Rescorlas, homegrown ones, Citizens born here who see in us what so many like Rick, born abroad, saw in us. And we owe it to civilians' adherence to oppose civilizational abuse. Yes, we had and have an enemy, and yes, it was and is real. And we can never forget it. Nor can we ever or should we ever forget what our enemy has done to us and what it plans for us still. Sometimes our enemies have been Marxists. 
sometimes fascist, sometimes Islamo-fascist, sometimes they are born abroad, sometimes they are born here, sometimes they move here. But the degree to which we appease or even honor them and their ideologies will be the degree to which we save or lose this, the last best hope of earth, as Lincoln called it, the last best hope of mankind, as Ronald Reagan said it. The beginning of our wisdom here will be the beginning of our relearning and remembering who we are and who they are. The beginning of our wisdom starts with understanding that if, indeed, as Lincoln put it, destruction be our lot, we will be ourselves its authors and finishers. For as a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. There was so much good writing after 9-11. It brought out so much in the best of so many Americans. Bill doesn't tire of the story of some of the stuff we described and counting on what that unity looked like. Divorce lawyers, family attorneys, family law attorneys, reported lots of instances of people withdrawing their divorce petitions. Bible sales went through the roof. Of course, flag pins and flag purchases as well. An interesting one was 12-step meetings were more crowded in standing room only. Often there's an expression in 12-step meetings that there's always a chair for you. There weren't chairs available. So many people wanted to sober up and get serious. Those were the kinds of things that represented the kind of unity we were paying attention to and then of course paying attention to and then of course too Americans tried to study up and learn as much as they could about this region they didn't know much about the Middle East and this religion they didn't know much about Islam and we studied and we learned as we kind of remembered that we were all one big family here Maybe we'll go out uh, in the final segment with the kind of first anthem of the moment, which was Alan Jackson's Where Were You When the World Stopped Turning, which is all about recombining the fractiousness that represented the early days of 2001. People don't remember how fractured we were and how dramatic and how torn apart we were over the election of George W. Bush and all the election denial in that era as well. We'll have more to say about this, and I'm happy to take your calls on it as well. We'll do more of it after our culture and economy update. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. John Dombrowski is the president of Grand Canyon Planning and Associates president and founder. A great website, great way to get in touch with him is through the website at Grand Canyon Planning. Dot com. John, happy Monday. Thanks for joining us again, as always. You bet. I just I had to reach over and uh, stop dancing here. Sit yeah, down. Well, okay. that is your new theme song. <laughs> That's your walk-on music uh, per, per David Dahl here. All right, David. Uh, thanks. You, you, you have some interesting cultural stuff for us. Before I do, I just got to tell you, I just got to share with you. Have we ever, in when it comes to markets and big finance, seen a better set of words than the headline, Smuckers Buys Twinkie? I, that, that's just that's just a good sentence, isn't it? That just makes you happy, kind of, doesn't it? 
kind of does. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Pretty good, brother. You, you've you've been crunching some interesting stats. Well, yeah. First of all, of course, it's September 11th. Yeah. You've been talking about it, yeah. and um, yeah, I just wanted to bring from a financial perspective, uh, you know, what happened back then. Yeah. You know, to the to the stock market. You think about the amount of wealth that was lost on that day from the markets. About. Um, from what I can, uh, you know, go back and recollect, it looks like, uh, back in, uh, September 11th, the markets dropped about $1.7 trillion in value, or $1.4 trillion was lost in value. And, um, we also saw, uh, of course, because of the panic selling, uh, the markets dropped the first day when they opened again yeah. after September 11th. The markets fell 684 points, which was a 7% decline in one day, which at the time was a record. Right. Uh, it was the biggest loss in, in the exchange's history. Of course, that's, uh, you know, we've seen, uh, larger, uh, percentages since then, but yeah. at the time that was uh, really drastic and it was uh, a bit of, of course, uh, fear from everyone, panic selling and, uh, but if you look at where the market was then versus where we are today, 20 plus years later, it's made such a dramatic recovery. And, and the other uh, big one was, you know, 2008, uh, where we had the financial crisis of 2008. You know, losing 1.4 trillion back in 2001 was a lot, but mm-hmm. there was over eight trillion dollars lost mm-hmm. uh, in the 2008 correction, the great financial crisis that we had. Uh, so a big difference. And I also went back and just did some checking on the deficits yeah. um, and, and on the national debt. Uh, back in 2001, the national debt, take a quick guess. What do you think it was? Uh, what, 2001 national debt? Yeah. Oh, well, I, <laughs> six trill? $3.3 trillion. Was it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And in 2008, wow. at that next, uh, you know, a major correction we had, it was $10 Ten. Trillion. Yeah, that I remember because Obama now took us to 20. Yeah. Almost $33 yeah. Trillion today. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, things have uh, changed drastically over the years. Um, you know, uh, even with all of those things happening, for those who were invested and for those who um, continue to... Uh, contribute to those retirement accounts, those 401ks, uh, you you still did fairly well mm-hmm. through all of these ups and downs mm-hmm. that we see these major corrections or in some cases called black swan events. Yep. These yep. are things that we can't quite predict. Yep. Um, but the markets are very resilient and they have a way of, of recovering. And even through what we're going through today with all of the inflationary pressures that we've been feeling, uh, all of the uh, massive spending that's been going on, the markets have held up relatively well, and uh, there are uh, still some, probably some really good opportunities for those out there if you're still looking for areas of the market to invest in. Uh, again, always taking into consideration that there's risk in anything when you invest, uh, but understanding that risk and uh, longevity uh, for the investing time horizon is the key. I remember back in those days, John, um, people forget how bad a recession we were coming out of mm-hmm. on how bad the dot-bomb situation was. I think yeah. that's what they would call it, dot-bomb. Dot, and yeah. then there was um, there were economists like James Glassman who were predicting a Dow at 36,000. Do you remember those days? Right, and everybody was like everyone thinking was that's like, ridiculous. Are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Are you yeah. kidding me? Mm-hmm. Uh, but the American capacity for renewal and self-renewal, not only culturally and politically, but financially as well, is the story, isn't it? Yeah, and I say these publicly traded companies, you know, they're they're they have a very um, it's an amazing uh, 
you know, process that these yeah. companies go through and, and what they actually can accomplish. Uh, again, it's that American greatness, yep. you know, we have here. So. Thank you, sir. Yeah, when those antibodies kick in, they kick in yeah. like none other. You Thank you, and sir. If folk, yeah, if folks yeah. need help with any of these uh, things that we talk about every day on the show, of course, they can reach out to me. Go to GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Plenty Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thanks, Seth. Thank you, John. You're the best. I appreciate it. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Trying to give some due to the uh, commemoration of uh, September 11th, 22 years ago, sharing some of my memories. Happy to... Uh, in fact, encouraging, I would encourage you to co- call in and share yours, 602 um, I remember about a month after 9-11, a few of us got together. I was privileged to be part of a great group that constituted that few, William Bennett, Charles Krauthammer, James Woolsey. Uh, we got together to form something called Americans for Victory Over Terrorism, and what we thought was important was to give teach-ins like in the 60s across college campuses across the country talking to the students about the threat of terrorism and putting it in the right perspective because we knew way too much of the rot that they would be getting from their professors. We thought it was important to form this organization, Americans for Victory Over Terrorism, to... um, to keep support and confidence high in the American cause. We held a press conference. Walter Shapiro of the USA Today said to Dr. Bennett at our press conference, you really think we we need a group like you to remind us what happened on 9-11? And Bennett said, sentiment is strong now, but give it a little time. This view will fade, and I'll even suggest many will come to either forget it, ignore it, or blame America for it. Well, it didn't take long did it for America to start being blamed. I um, I noticed even our vice president put 9-11 on par with another date that she said, like 9-11, will live in infamy, which was January 6th. We, we internalize far too much here and blame ourselves far too much and condemn ourselves far too much and buy into the narrative against us from our enemies far too much. I want one big thing to be remembered from 9-11, if nothing else. It's from a um, piece in Esquire magazine from Tom Junod called The Falling Man. It's haunting. It should be haunting. Tom Junod and Esquire wrote, They began jumping. Not long after the first plane hit the North Tower, not long after the fire started, they kept jumping until the tower fell. They jumped through windows already broken and then later through windows they broke themselves. They jumped to escape the smoke and the fire. They jumped when the ceilings fell and the floors collapsed. They jumped just to breathe once more before they died. They jumped continually from all four sides of the building and from all floors above and around the building's fatal wound. They jumped from the offices of Marsh McLennan, the insurance company. They jumped from the offices of Cantor 
Fitzgerald, the Bond Trading Company. They jumped from Windows on the World, the restaurant on the 106th and 107th floors, the top. For more than an hour and a half, they streamed from the building, one after another, consecutively rather than en masse, as if each individual required the sight of another individual jumping before mustering the courage to jump himself or herself. One photograph taken at a distance shows people jumping in perfect sequence like parachutists, forming an arc composed of three plummeting people evenly spaced. Indeed, there were reports that some tried parachuting before the force generated by their fall ripped the drapes, the tablecloths, the desperately gathered fabric from their hands. They were all very obviously much alive on their way down, and their way down lasted an approximate count of ten seconds. Can you imagine that? They were all obviously not just killed when they landed, but destroyed. In body, though, not one praise in soul. One hit a fireman on the ground and killed him. The fireman's body was anointed by Father Michael Judge, whose own death shortly thereafter was embraced as an example of martyrdom. After the photograph, the the redemptive tableau of firefighters carrying his body from the rubble made its way around the world. Remember the reporting on Father Michael Judge. He was the priest to the fire department, the New York Fire Department. He carried a prayer in his uh, in his jacket pocket. I remember the prayer to this day. Still say it when I remember to say it. The prayer was, Dear God, on this day help me do what you want me to do. Say what you want me to say. Meet who you want me to meet. And stay out of your way. But that's what they did to us on 9-11. Can you imagine 10 seconds of parachuting using tablecloths and drapes as parachutes that were ripped out of 200 Americans' hands as they tried to grasp one last gasp of air? 200 people jumped. 200 people jumped to obliteration. There was a debate in this country about the phrase Islamofascism just as there is little debate in this country about half of it being fascist, half of this country being fascist. But fascism is what we're supposed to hate, and maybe it's worth reminding just a bit who the fascists really are. Baathism, the Syrian-Iraqi movement, came out of National Socialism. That would be the governing political party in Syria, as I say, and up until a few years ago, Iraq, You'll find the liberation movements of the Palestinians from the PLO to its offshoots having been formed and informed by Marxist-Leninism, and you'll find the leading Muslim authority in what was known as Palestine during World War II having worked hand-in-glove with Adolf Hitler, the Mufti of Jerusalem. I hope what we saw or learned or see is that... um, Maybe the question as to why they hate us or why they hated us was not because of our sins and ideological persuasions, but rather our being in the way of actual socialism, Marxism, and fascism. 
as we're supposed to hate fascism? Why the whitewashing and redirecting it at Americans, at ourselves? The phrase Islamofascism was coined, or at least made popular, by Christopher Hitchens at the time, after 9-11, and he received a great many criticisms for it. We're going to go to break here. When I come back, when we come back from break, I'll give you his explanation as to why he thought it was a perfectly apt description to describe those who attacked us and would continue to attack us. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Portions of this show brought to you by Y-Refi. It's a great uh, organization, a great outfit, and um, they have a great investment opportunity in a secure, collateralized portfolio with no fees. It's an investment in a portfolio that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. If you're concerned about stock market volatility or inflation or even talk of a recession, again, not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return with Y-Refi. That's right, 10.25% fixed rate of return. You can turn your income on. You can turn it off. You can compound it, whatever you like. As I say, absolutely no fees and no attack on principle if you ever need your money back at any time. And you'll get your monthly statements, of course, with no surprises. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. That's 888-YREFI-24. I was just talking to you about some of the terminology that was around after 9-11, and uh, one of the more controversial terms, Islamofascism, which many thought was a good way to describe what it was we were up against and what had attacked us, at least the ideology of it. It was made popular, coined by Christopher Hitchens, who received a great amount of criticism for it. And he said, he wrote this, Does bin Ladenism or Salafism, or whatever we agree to call it, have anything in common with fascism? Yes. The most obvious points of comparison would be these. Both movements are based on a cult of murderous violence that exalts death and destruction and despises not only life, but life of the mind. Death to the intellect. Long live death, as General Francisco Franco's sidekick Gonzalo Cuepo de Llano pithily phrased it. Both are hostile to modernity, except when it comes to the pursuit of weapons. And both are bitterly nostalgic for past empires and lost glories. Both are obsessed with real and imagined humiliations. Both are thirsty for revenge. Both are chronically infected with the toxin of anti-Jewish paranoia. Interestingly, also with its milder cousin, anti-Freemason paranoia. Both are inclined to leader worship and to the exclusive stress on the power of just one great book. Islamofascism, Christopher Hitchens. Again, I would like your memories of 9-11, your thoughts about it, what we did right, what we did wrong, what we're seeing right, what we're seeing wrong. I wasn't here, as I say, in Phoenix. I don't know what it was like here in Phoenix when the news broke or what that day was like. I'd love to hear from you. 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.